And we are back. Welcome back to the In Squash podcast. We've been in, ba- in the basement for a few weeks, but uh, now we're back. This is episode 169, and uh, we've got a really, really good one. Peter Jennifer, the Hong Kong national team head coach, recently announced uh, just a little while ago. And uh, he was uh, previous to that the head coach for the Malaysian national team. He comes on the podcast, and we have a really uh, interesting uh, chat about several uh, aspects of uh, of his career and what he has uh, on his plate now with the Hong Kong uh, national team coaching uh, situation. Uh, he's taken that over from uh, Chris Robertson, who did who had incredible years there as their head coach, and uh, we talk about uh, about that situation. But first, we get into a little bit about his playing career. He had a very good uh, professional career um, by any standard. Um, I think uh, you know, he's a bit understated in this uh, episode, but probably you know very honest as well. That, that comes through very candid conversation about that, and you'll be interested to hear uh, what he thought of his own uh, playing career and how he handled things. Uh, he reached the top uh, 25 in the world, which is uh, which is excellent. Um, he worked in the he was training uh, under Neil Harvey for a couple of years there, and uh, then parlayed that into some coaching after his uh, playing career was over which uh, led him to uh, work with uh, Aslan uh, Iskander, who was in the the Neil Harvey stable with him, and that brought him to Malaysia, where he spent seven incredible years, and uh, we talk about those years as well. And then uh, that team and and the successes he had and what he learned uh, through that situation, and then how that uh, ultimately led him to Hong Kong, which has presented him with a with a new challenge, but a challenge that's, uh, you know, maybe he's uh, ready for now. He's He had a similar uh, beginning with Malay- with the Malaysian team. He did have a few stars when he first showed up at Malaysia, uh, uh, in Malaysia to coach uh, their national team. He had Aslan and he also had uh, Ong Beng Hee, who was, uh, they were both uh, uh, heading towards retirement and then he had to uh, coach up uh, a younger uh, group of players. And this is seemingly what he uh, got in front of them now uh, in Hong Kong. So we talk about all of that, and then uh, towards the end of our uh, discussion, we have a really interesting chat about what it is that, uh, why he believes uh, the Egyptian uh, squash situation has been so successful, why they've been able to produce so many uh, quality players over the last uh, 15, 20 years uh, at such a consistent level, and he has some really... Uh, really interesting and unique uh, thoughts on why that is. So I know you're going to enjoy uh, this episode, episode 169 of the In Squash podcast with Peter Jenner. Uh, thanks for uh, for taking the time out today, Peter. Really appreciate uh, your time. And uh, before we get started, it's probably you've been in the role for a little bit now, but uh, congratulations on uh, taking on that amazing new opportunity. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, actually. Yeah, you're you're in Hong Kong now, right? Yeah, I've been here since March, actually. Okay. Yeah, so that was that was the start point. Brilliant. Uh, well, I'm not sure if you know much about our my podcast, but uh, yeah, I've had a quite a few episodes. In fact, my my first episode was with your former. The very first episode was with your. I think your old coach. Your first 
or not your first coach, but one of your great coaches over the years, Neil Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. He, he was my, uh, my, my first episode. So how about that uh, baptism by fire there? <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's quite some character, Neil. Um, yeah. I had some, had many good years uh, in Chingford with him. Yeah. yeah I enjoyed that. Well, uh, what we'll do, uh, I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but I just wanted to start by uh, uh, also saying, asking uh, how your family and every, I know you have a, a young family uh, mm -hmm. now, how is everyone doing under the, the crazy uh, circumstances uh, that we live yeah. in at the moment? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been challenging, I think. The, um, it's actually getting better here. Um, there's kind of very few, very few cases now. Um, there's still still quite a few restrictions in place, but um, yeah, generally there's a little bit more normality to their life. So they they're going to school now, um, or you know just kindergarten kind of thing, um, and that helps having some kind of routine. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, really beneficial. So uh, they're doing pretty well, settling in. Um, they lived in a they've lived in Malaysia, so. The uh, Asian experience is not entirely new, although they were very young. Uh, familiar with the with the tastes of Asia, then they, they like the food and uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all yet. Oh, no, <laughs> no, no. They're still yeah. very much. The kids uh, are a bit tricky like that, aren't they? Uh, yeah, my daughter's palate is just beginning to expand. She's sixteen. Uh, but, uh, oh, she's <laughs> sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How long have you been in UAE? I've been here since 2007. Okay. It was just, uh, you might remember the days of the, the Hong Kong threes, that, that series of yeah. uh, events, uh, just right when that finished, because the, uh, right. they used to host that event at the Dubai Country Club. Right. And like the six months after I arrived, they, they got rid of the, the, the country club, uh, closed permanently. And so did oh, the, uh, the right. threes, but uh, squash lives on. Uh, yeah, mine too, anyways. But and before that, I was in Seoul, uh, Korea, for for many years, okay. and yeah. uh, spent uh, a lot of time uh, playing a little bit of squash there in in Hong Kong and uh, Tokyo. So I know the landscape. Right. It's an it's exciting, uh, well. exciting place over there uh, in terms of squash. Uh, they've got a lot of tradition. Uh, Mm. It's several yeah. old clubs there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of based on the the kind of English, I think, influence of, of clubs. And, and, yeah, yeah. So they, I mean, they they they're very enthusiastic. Very, um, they're really really trying to promote the game as well, which is which is good good for squash in Hong Kong. Um, yeah bit different to Malaysia where it was all kind of government uh, courts you know not not many clubs there's a few in KL but outside of KL it's kind of you know it's all it's all kind of uh, government run centers right on very very few clubs still a few but not many um, so quite interesting kind of setup different different to uh, Malaysia yeah I remember the when I went over there the first time to Hong Kong. They had just, uh, I think it was shortly after or right around when they built that really, that public facility that they have downtown in one of the 
it's in the business sector, all those, mm -hmm. they had, I don't know, eight, 10 courts or something in there. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but we played. That? That the, yeah. that, sorry? That must have been a few years ago, right? 96. Yeah. Mm. Is that a few years ago? Yeah, that would have been a few years. <laughs> 1996. Yeah. And we played. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was one of those one of those kind of uh, traditional squash club exchange matches, you know, where you set up. Right, and, nice. If you've been to the football club, Hong Kong football yeah, club, uh, they sure, have little sure. plaques on the walls where they exchange yeah. at the end of the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've seen that actually. Yeah, yeah. That's part of that that tradition, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But. Um, Anyways, yeah, you're, I think you've got, uh, I mean, Hong Kong, like you said, uh, a lot of tradition there. But one thing I didn't really see a lot of, which uh, you brought up now, is uh, just sort of the, the grassroots thing that, that's really brought forward many of their, their strong players over the yeah. last few years. Uh, I didn't really get, obviously, I was playing against the expats and, and things like that. that yeah. Uh, but uh, they have a very strong program, and that's uh, something that you've, obviously been uh, hired on to to bring forward even more so that's an yeah sure yeah exciting opportunity yeah. yeah yeah exactly not 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 operational at the moment all of the kind of the, the feeder system certain parts of it are allowed but there's a lot of it that isn't kind of uh, allowed at the moment due to government restrictions but it's a good it's a good system they've got in place Right on. Kind of ticks, ticks all the boxes and they go into schools and stuff like that and introduce at kindergarten age, which is kind of, you know, four or five years old. So they've got kind of mini squash kind of activities, which is it's a good introduction at early age. And I think that's why they get a, a pool of players carrying on playing. Uh, so the programs are good. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, if you don't mind, Peter, um, I know a lot of people know who you are in the squash circles, but a lot of, uh, I mean, it came out, you came to my attention when I saw the announcement that you'd taken over uh, as the, you know, the new head coach in Hong Kong. And obviously the, your predecessor had, has a big name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And you also <laughs> do too. Uh, uh, but let, let's take a look back, if you don't mind it. Uh, a little bit at your early days. I mean, you played professionally at a, at a very good level. You're top 25 in the world at one point. Uh, yep. So what, what were those years like for you on tour? I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, you, you were part of the Neil Harvey's camp there and they had a crew of uh, amazing, uh, talented players. Uh, uh, Peter Nickel, Lawrence Anjuman, all the, uh, Ong Benghi, uh, uh, the list goes on. So what, what were those yep. years like uh, for you and, and how would you characterize uh, your your squash game when you were at your your best um but yeah it's a, <laughs> it's a good question actually um when i look back at my kind of playing days they they were reasonably reasonably short in as much that after the juniors i went to south africa mm. to, to play the season there and then share that season with the english season so it's uh, I did that for four years. So it was only after that that I went to Neil Harvey's uh, group of players in London, in Chingford, um, mainly because Tim Garner and Julian Wellings were there, who came from the same region as me in England. Um, so um, I've kind of followed 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 them um, and, and 
joined joined the group. And obviously, the big big attraction was obviously Neil and, and Peter Nickel there. Um, obviously, a, a very successful partnership. So I thought I could uh, tap into a bit of that. I just thought, I mean, knowing Neil, not, I don't know him that well, but I do know him a bit and have spoken to several people uh, about Neil uh, on the podcast. And uh, he doesn't uh, bring in, uh, you know, just about just anybody uh, to his team. So what, what, what was it? Uh, did you have a relationship with him previously or perhaps he saw something in you that, that fit well with what he was doing? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, I think. I think everybody. I think Neil's kind of. He's a fair. He's a fair guy. He'll give you a. He'll give you a trial, um, okay. and you. And he'll work out pretty quickly whether that that period will be extended or it won't be. I think. Um, okay. I think probably Tim Garner probably vouched for me, maybe, which which got me a, <laughs> a foot in the door, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then it was just down to. You know, just just showing the kind of level of commitment that he, that Neil required at training. Um, and if if you uh, if you gave that and you were honest uh, with him, then I think it was it was very very easy to get along with him. Yeah. Um, and I, I think my relationship with him was was absolutely fine. Was good. Um, we had no issues because I tried tried my best, and uh, that was that was enough, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the key. So if, isn't it? I mean, if you've got a coach who's, you know, willing to put it on the line and, you know, you, you expect, you know, the player to do, to do the same. And if that comes to fruition, then uh, you're going to have a pretty, you know, that's, that's exactly what you want. Right. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a good start for sure. And um, he, he, you know, he did, you know, I wouldn't look back on my playing, my playing career and say it was, I enjoyed all of it. I didn't. There was large parts of it which I uh, didn't particularly enjoy. I always felt that I was kind of rushing to to kind of get better and uh, improve. And um, you know, in that respect, there was kind of um, added pressure that that didn't help um, expectations to 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 do better. So. Um, there were some, there were some good moments, but there were also, it's a kind of, you kind of expose yourself when you're playing, you kind of put yourself out there and sometimes it's, it's, it's pretty tough as well. So I mean, it's you, kind of, you reached a pretty high level. I mean, to, to be at the top, you know, in the top 25, probably you're playing in tournaments against, you know, some very, very, I mean, the top players. So you, like you said, you put yourself out there and you either, you know, quickly realize, you know, I'm not. You know, I'm playing against uh, Thierry Linku or Jonathan Power, Peter Nickel. Uh, uh, you know, what do I have to do to get to that level? Sure. Yeah. And it was, you know, you kind of on the in the, the background is also you, you, you're independent, so you're you're kind of funding funding yourself. So there's a there's a kind of financially there's a bit of pressure as well because mm-hmm. obviously, you know. Uh, Unless you're really at the top, you're not perhaps, you know, earning as much as, you know, to, to really kind of push forward, you know. Um, so I was getting a, it, it kind of ended with me kind of in, in a bit of debt and uh, <laughs> deciding that I had to maybe uh, make a kind of different direction. And also my game kind of reached the ceiling. Like with, with, with Neil, I, we, we, 
worked very, very hard on the physical aspects, but, you know, some of looking back and it's easy to look at it, you know, retrospectively, you know, my game wasn't developing in the way that could, could take me forward. Um, given all the other things that were going on as well. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a little bit of mixed feelings. Yeah, I guess when you look back, I mean, now now that you have all this, obviously you're a world-class coach now, uh, if you were able to look back and uh, coach yourself, what, what would you say uh, you would do? What, what, what did, if you had the time, what would you have done to your, your own game in order to? I think, I think uh, initially that's that's what I that's what I thought that kind of got me into coaching. Yeah. Um, and my my views now are, are different to what they were kind of then, and they they kind of change all the time as a coach. But that was my first kind of you know contact point was well, well what if you'd had the opportunity to coach yourself what would you have done and and so on and so forth and I tried to apply that to other players and. The first thing that, that I, I really thought would have been different was, you know, at Neil's, it was, it was kind of one size fits all. Um, and it was based around his, his work with Peter Nichol. Um, and they, they developed a, a kind of a system which allowed Peter to do really, really well. Um, but then that, that system was kind of applied to every player that went through the, the program. So that was the kind of the first thing you have to, you can't, you have to treat every player uh, as a unique kind of entity and, yeah. and, and tackle. Um, and, and perhaps Neil was doing that, but I, I kind of didn't interpret it in that way. Right. Um, so that would, that would be the first thing is, is when you get a new player, you kind of try and, look at that player as a kind of a, a kind of, as I said, a unique individual and then, and then work from there. Yeah. So that would be, the, that was probably the biggest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess straight I guess away. being, being in your situation, sort of, you know, not, not the top man on, on the totem pole, so to speak, and sort of down there, uh, you know, getting in some good training sessions, getting in some good work, but not maybe getting the, the Intel that you needed to, sort of develop your game that that would sort of sort of grow in your your mind and, and as a coach I guess it's something now that you maybe has helped you uh, become a better coach and and develop your own approach with that yeah. in mind right yeah I, I think I think so and the other thing which is which is quite obvious that you know it's one of these things that Hadrian Stiff talks a lot about is kind of results don't define you and, and I think you know that's another thing um, which is important which I, I didn't really grasp at the time you know it was like the results were, were too important. Um, well, look at the team I mean look at everyone that was there right the guys that were there were all about results weren't they I mean the, the big name guys that were there they were getting results and that was kind of the the main thrust of what was going on there yeah. wasn't yeah, and, and, and it, that's not to say you don't want to achieve the results. You, <laughs> that's what you're pursuing. That's the, that's the kind of business that you're in is that you need to, you yeah. need to be successful. But it doesn't, it's, not a, it, it's not the be-all and end-all when it doesn't work. It's, there's, a, there's always another opportunity to, to kind of go back, kind of uh, 
revise what you're doing, refine what you're doing, and then have another go kind of thing and then learn through through that, you know. Um, so that, that that's kind of a big thing, isn't it, for, for players to, to firstly to, to kind of, you know, behave what is normal and optimal for you and then kind of keep, keep working at that. And, and when you yeah. get the setbacks, just uh, kind of accept it as a kind of natural natural kind of consequence of being there and playing and then and then refine and move forward kind of thing yeah well i mean obviously uh, uh you you did spend a bit of time with neil uh, and uh he would have had a, a positive impact on you as a coach as well uh, uh what did you take away uh in terms of from him in terms of your own coaching aside from what what we just talked about uh, what what would you say were, were the the main attributes that, that Neil brought to the table? Obviously, he was a, a legend uh, in, in coaching. He is a legend in coaching. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and his his kind of uh, his passion for the game is is quite infectious. Um, and his his kind of honesty around the game as well. You know, it's it's there's certain realities that you have to kind of abide by and live by. Um, but it was mainly his commitment to it, you know. He had probably 10 players, 10 kind of world-class players under his care. Um, and his kind of commitment to each each of those projects was, was really, really evident. Um, and not just not just on, you know, in the in the few hours that you're training, it's like outside of that as well. So that that was that was really uh, it was it was kind of influential that you know that work ethic is is as a player is important but as a coach is is equally as important mm, absolutely so you uh you mentioned it just previously that uh you know your your playing career wasn't going maybe the way you wanted it to go and you were you were you know struggling to make ends meet so is that sort of when you you began to think of parlaying your your squash playing into the the squash coaching and, and, and is that kind of how that all got uh, sort of started for you more or less? yeah so it kind of it kind of um yeah it creeps up on you and then and then suddenly you realize that it's not you know if you're not able to put 100 percent focus into it it's, it's not going to go well so I, I i quickly kind of you know it was at a point, I realized that I had to move on. Prior to that, it kind of lingered for a while. But I started coaching in, in London, in, in the Lambs Club. Yeah. And, um, you know, quite quickly, um, Mohammed Aslan Iskander, who was with, with Neil, who, who I, you know, built up a reasonable relationship with, kind of came across and started having some sessions um, in a coaching capacity. Um, and then... So I guess that's how I got into the, you know, like working with with elite players. So I was doing my kind of club coaching. I was earning some money. I was, you know, yeah. <laughs> paying off some of the debts, and then and then the the kind of elite stuff kind of took off from there. Um, I guess and as is the nature with him. these. He had some. Uh, I wasn't privy to uh, obviously social media and things weren't that public at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't privy to. I just thought he was with uh, Neil for the most part. But uh, you know, knowing yeah. that, knowing this now, 
uh, he had a very, uh, very strong end of his career. And it was kind of took me yeah. by surprise when he retired because he was playing well. Uh, yeah. but obviously, uh, you know, much of that uh, towards the end of his career, he was spending it with you. So uh, how did that sort of make you feel to see him achieve uh, that success? Uh, did that sort of spur you on and say, you know, I'm probably yeah. uh, good? Well, it, it kind of, it, much like, much like Neil, Neil kind of, was, was taking a step back from coaching and, and um, getting more involved in the charity stuff. So um, players were kind of looking for alternatives and Aslan, uh, we, we kind of, you know, built a relationship there and started working together. And much like Neil's group, this kind of, you, you're kind of in the right place at the right time. So you kind of attract other players. So I was in London for probably coaching for about five, five or so years, five or six years. And in that time, Tom Richards, Joe Lee, um, I had Robbie Temple and Phil Nightingale. Uh, and then Nafis Wan with the Malaysian connection. And, and then Max Lee and Dick Lau came over from Hong Kong. Okay. And then Steve Coppinger and then Mahesh. Uh, so it kind of, that was my pool of players prior to going to Malaysia to, to coach the national team there. So yeah, it kind of, it kind of snowballed. So at the start it was me doing one player and by the end it was the club stuff was a smaller portion of my day. And then I was working with these guys on a kind of, you know, every, I think four or five, four, four, four days a week um, with, with the kind of pro pro level. So yeah. And then, and then the, the kind of extension to that was, you know, I think Aslan wanted to go back to Malaysia. He had a few opportunities he wanted to explore. Yeah. He, he kind of wanted me to, to, to be in Malaysia as well. Okay. He, he was at top, he was top 10 now at this level, uh, at this kind of, at, at this time. But he influenced, I think. Um, a few strings. Well, he, I, I think, yeah, essentially, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'd had a few of the Malaysians over on part-time basis as well. Delia Arnold had come over. So an opportunity was there to, to take over the national coach's job in Malaysia. And uh, I, I kind of took that, took that route at that point. That must have been exciting for you to take on uh, something like that. I mean, to you know, go from a club pro position where you're, you know, you've got a few few pros that you're working with, to this big thing where you're coaching a, a, in, a, in a very young and, and uh, talented and, and yeah. some pedigree as well because you had obviously Aslan there, Ong Beng He before him uh, had retired a few years earlier. Nicole David sort of still playing quite a bit. At that time, yeah. But uh, then a lot of young, very young, talented players coming up too. So uh, I guess that you you saw that landscape and said, you know, this is something really, really. Yeah. Uh, and uh, actually, Beng Beng He was still was still full time for a few years after that. Actually, was it? Yeah. He, he yeah in the in the early part. But yeah, it was it was it was something I. Part of the reason why coming to Hong Kong has been, um, you know, part of the reason I obviously was they they want they asked me to do the interim period and then apply for the for the full time job here was because of my experiences in 
in Malaysia. And, and to be honest, the first year in Malaysia was was a disaster, really. Um, because you, you move from, you're trying to implement things that work in a, in a completely different environment and setting. Mm. And that's, it just didn't, it didn't work. And it took time to kind of... I mean, I, I've been an expat for a long time. And I, I mean, this is completely different, but I just remember my first teaching position in, in South Korea. And I get into, I was working at a college and I get into the classroom and I'd you know, be dealing with the other faculty. And it, you know, the first six months, first year was just, it was chaos. It's like mm. I couldn't get my head around any of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it's it's that was that was a similar experience for me, and it, it was, but it was great. It's it's it was it really kind of again helped shape the next phase of my kind of how how I viewed things as a coach, which is you know you can't just copy and paste things that you've worked. So I had to learn kind of the lesson again of treating every new thing as an as a as a as a separate or a kind of unique um, situation to, to kind of face rather than just think, okay, that worked there. That's going to work here. Um, so that, that was, wow. that was really valuable. Um, and especially coming to Hong Kong, then, then, you know, the kind of mentality that you may have to face, but again, you, you, you try not to make too many assumptions of what it's going to be like, Right. but you've had, the experiences in, in, in Asia maybe kind of kind of lean towards, this is what I kind of expect, but I'm not going to, I've got to go in open-minded. Whereas in Malaysia, the first time it was just like, right, this is what I'm doing. This is how it's going to be. And everyone was like, no, it's not. <laughs> You're going to have to, you know, going to have to kind of work at this. Yeah. So it, it took, it took some time in Malaysia, but I think, I think the, the final few years, I think we had, as you said, we we had a had a kind of program where young players, young exciting players, were coming through, mm. um, consistently doing well in the junior tournaments, the British Open, the kind of um, the World Juniors, and some some good some good results in in the senior game as well. And obviously, we, we missed out we Wern as well, who was you know a you know yeah. world class player. Um, what still is, but uh, um, you know the, the, the ACL injuries have, have, have obviously slowed her down a little bit. But she's she's making yeah she's making inroads, inroads to getting getting back up there again. So you know there's there was many many good players, and I think they'll they'll continue to produce good players, Malaysia. Yeah, well they've got uh, Sabra Sabangari Sabra Minium as well. Uh, she's over there. Yeah, Sabra Sangari. Yeah, she's she's. Fantastic. Her on the podcast, she, she's fantastic. Great. Yeah. What a, yeah. What, a, what a talent and what a ball of energy. Yeah, she's just. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. She's a great, great player. Yeah. So when you went, I guess when you went over there, you saw the, you know, the landscape and uh, that situation, uh, things went well for you. So what, what were, uh, I guess in, in 2019, when you stepped down, what, what was the reason behind that? Uh, you saw, you want you wanted another fresh opportunity or uh... yeah i think so and also you know my wife and i had always kind of agreed that after the asian games in in 2018 we would that would be a time to kind of have a look at um the kind of what we were doing um we'd had two 
two Asian games, two Commonwealth games um, at that point. Um, so we just, yeah, just wanted to have a look at, you know, the, the, the kind of overall picture. And we decided that now would be a good time for us and probably a good time for Malaysia as well. Um, yeah. It had been seven, seven years. So, you know, so we decided to go back to the UK. Um, the idea was that she was, she was going to work and I was going to look after our children. Okay. Um, Sounds good. And it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Cause I hadn't, you know, when you're in the job and you're kind of, you know, even though you're, you're with, you're with the family, sometimes you're thinking about other things and, and always got your mind on what's happening next and, and planning yeah. and preparing. And, and that was a good opportunity to step back and, and, kind of reflect on the previous seven years as a as a kind of what I'd done as a coach and but also you know actually have some completely free time to to kind of uh spend with 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 the children and the family a little bit more um but of course this was on the backdrop was Brexit in the UK and the elections and then and then Covid started you know to to kind of emerge so you know, <laughs> you know when the um, when Hong Kong squash approached me to do the interim role, we, we kind of decided that it was probably a good time to to see to see if it would if it if it could work. You know, um, yeah. So it's, it's it's you know you've got to be you've got to be ready to <laughs> kind of uh, adapt to, to what, what's what's in front of you and I mean, get like kind of the uniques given the global uh, circumstances at the moment uh, 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 that's a nice opportunity uh, to present itself at, at that time yeah very very fortunate really um, you know and yeah the circumstances obviously not ideal with with Chris having to leave um, you know so it's it's not not great but um, yeah you know when 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 I was asked to do it, we, we thought for a six month period, it's, it's definitely uh, worth worth kind of having a look. Um, the reputation of, you know, Hong Kong in, in the squash world and their ambition um, and, and their kind of the association, it's, it's the competency of kind of the operation. It's, it's, well, it's the center it's attractive. of squash in a lot of ways, uh, isn't it? I mean, when I was in uh, when I was in Korea, we would we would always head over there to the Hong Kong Open. A big group of people, we'd go watch the you know the, the Open, and uh, it just seemed to be like uh, this place where Asian squash kind of congregated. Uh, it's like like a, like the center point of it all. Uh, maybe Malaysia is in Southeast Asia, but for Japan, for South Korea, mm. for uh, that that region, I think they'd really look up to the template or the way that, that they, uh, they manage things in terms of their squash in, sure. in Hong Kong. And they'd be, I mean, for a, for a relatively small area region, it's, it's, it's really kind of been very successful as well. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, and it, it, I think, uh, you know, that's always, always attractive when you kind of looking at, and, and it's a centralized program, which I think is important for me. Um, like in the UK, uh, the national coach doesn't they have to move around and, and kind of 
monitor things from remotely, whereas the centralized program means all the players, all the facilities are in one venue, which is, I like to be involved every day, you know, with kind of, you know, or six days a week with kind of what's going on. And yeah, that makes sense. I think that, that, that's, that's kind of, for me, a nicer way to work. Yeah, well, speak, uh, you know, you mentioned Chris Robertson and we all know, uh, what an incredible, you know, uh, you know, legend of a player he was, and an absolute legend uh, as a coach, even da- you know, dating before uh, what he did in in Hong Kong. But uh, speak to the legacy, if you don't mind, uh, Peter, to, that he left uh, behind uh, in Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's. I've always had a, a had a. a Nice relationship with Chris. He's, I've always admired his kind of openness around the game. You know, he's like um, willing to share even even when we're kind of, you know, rivals in terms of Malaysia and Hong Kong. Yeah. It was yeah, you nice. guys must it's have nice had a, few, to, uh, a few battles over the, the last year. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, not not personally, but, uh, <laughs> you, know, our, you know, our respective kind of charges, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just... You know, it, it, it was always going to be always going to be tough to to follow. Um, he's, he's got a great great amount of respect here. Um, the, the players really enjoyed enjoyed working with him, um, and you know, I think I think their results over his period kind of speak for themselves. They yeah they got to the they got to the they've had two third place finishes in the world teams. Yeah. Um, one men's and one women's. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they did. They did really well at Asian Games, which is a big thing for the Asian countries. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they've got, con- you know, they've pretty consistent on the tour as well in terms of ranking. Yeah, I remember. I'm not sure if Chris was there, but uh, in South Korea, they had they held the Asian Games. It was 2002 or 2001. Forget the year, but uh, that was the year that Rebecca beat uh, Nicole for the gold. Mm. Uh, that year, and yeah. that was huge. Like that's absolutely yeah, yeah. For, for Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a that's a huge one. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, I, 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 I'm not sure exactly when Chris came, but it would have been probably twenty. He wasn't there for the Asian Games in Incheon, in but he was. I think it must have been after that, 2015, 2016, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe 2016. Yeah, because he was with obviously with England and then before then Wales. So you know, it's been it's been success. You know, in 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 kind of wherever he's been, it's been kind of a yeah. Well, I, I remember uh, back when we didn't have the internet or you know access to a lot of back when I was a junior, uh, and I remember I got my hands on this video. It was him. I think it was he was playing. It was a world cha- world championship. Mm-hmm. I think he got to the final one year, played Jancher in the final. I was watching this video and just the way he played, like his offense, the, his, the way he would attack that nice little touch drop shot in the front corners yeah. and the way he volleyed yeah. with his touch. I kind of tried to mimic uh, his style of play and he, yeah. just, he was an incredible player too. Yeah. And tenacious and, and kind of hardworking and, and very analytical. I, I, I think, um, and he was a good commentator as well. Mm. When you know some of the, I, I used to enjoy listening to the commentary with him and uh, uh, Robert Edwards. I think it was. 
they were great. They were great. Double act. The same thing. Those old videos that you used to get. You know, but it was nice. To, yeah. 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 To hear him hear him speak about the game was was, was yeah, was very satisfying, soothing on the ear. I think. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. So now you're, you know, you're in there in Hong Kong and you, you've got this, uh, as, as I mentioned in the email that I sent to you, you know, Annie Ao and the brother uh, Leo uh, have retired. I'm not sure about Max, but uh, I think he's sort of uh, in the twilight anyways, or he's not really playing much these days, but you've got, you know, you look at their rankings and you look at the players. It seems like a very, as you alluded to earlier, very similar, uh, scenario in terms of what you took over in in Malaysia back during that time is that how you look at it and uh, what are the differences uh, between what you had in Malaysia and what you're taking on now in uh, in Hong Kong um, yeah I think I mean it was it was within yeah before they asked me to do the to come in on in an interim kind of role and then told me that um, Annie and Joey Chan, you missed, has also retired, who's top 20 yeah. player. Okay, I didn't um, know. And um, so can you come in, but these two guys are retiring and kind of within a couple of months, Leo had also retired. So yeah. um, I hope it wasn't my uh, kind of appointment that, that kind of forced their hand. But, um, you know, there's obviously three big big losses. Max is still, still playing. Um, you know, but he's he's studying as well, um, so you know, and has has uh, two small children. So yeah. I think it's fair. I think it's fair to say that you know he's he's approaching the end, but he still wants to play in the Asian Games uh, in 2022. So that's kind of a kind of a target for him. Yeah. Um, but but obviously, you know, it, it's tough when you're losing players of that. Uh, caliber it's it's always going to be it's always going to be difficult but I think that it's an opportunity for somebody else and you know sometimes it, it the system might not kind of give those that lower tier player the attention that they need it can happen yeah um, so they can they can be viewed and view themselves as backup players um, and and that's that's not that's not good um, yes. So this has kind of thrust them a little bit more to the, to the, to the front. Um, and we kind of need to ensure that that doesn't happen again, that they kind of, you, you're kind of fulfilling a role as a backup player. We want every, every player to be competitive and try and just do, do as well as they can. Um, but, but there's still a lot of potential within that group. And, it, and it's going to be interesting for us to see if we can, if we can bring those guys through, and I, I believe, I believe there's some really, really strong kind of players there. Mm. Um, whether and whether we can uh, get them, I think the first priority for me is just to try and get a get a good squad together for Asian Games in 2022, yeah. um, and try and try and match our performance in in 2018, you know? and, and in the process of doing that, identify. Which which of the players kind of you know how they how they kind of see themselves on the wider on the on the on the bigger bigger stage uh, and kind of kind of work it out from there. Um, but there's still I mean Yipshifong is still the the kind of number one male now and he's been as high as 21 in the world and has you know huge potential and, and again a lot of the 
lot of the male players as well. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good prospects there. Um, and, and like you sort of, like you alluded to, uh, maybe that additional sort of, uh, I wouldn't say maybe it's pressure or, or attention or focus on him now that uh, he might be thrust into that sort of top spot might might elevate his game in, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he he was he was always you know he, he's always been one of the kind of main 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 players. It's kind of that level below him, you know. And sometimes you know you have to that that yeah that additional or pressure may maybe give them a little boost to to kind of move forward and and but also just changing the kind of feeling around the training environment that, that kind of everybody should be looking to kind of improve and move forward. You know? Yeah. Well, it seems like a guy, I, I don't know them at all, but it's it just from the, from what I see, what I've seen on court and the work ethic that they appear to have at like uh, Annie and, uh, and uh, Leo, they, they just seem to be like, very, very dedicated, hardworking type players who probably uh, laid the groundwork for for the for the kids coming up to to follow uh, in their footsteps. Uh, uh, I, I I mean I, I'm just guessing here, but it just seems like they. I mean I really liked watching her play, uh, Annie. Uh, she just had that really sort of very unique uh, approach that she that worked for her really well. You know, slowing the ball down, moving mm-hmm. it around, volleying lobbying, uh, doing everything that she did well, very well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she's, she's a good example of the, the kind of model that we want to encourage, which is kind of understanding your, your rhythm, understanding your, um, your strengths as a player and kind of adapting your game to that um, and, and being, being adaptable in response to what your opponents are going to try and do. I mean, she, I mean, they're not in, in terms of stature, you know, height, they're, they're you know, Annie and Leo, both, you know, relatively small. Yeah. So, you know, that you have to play in a certain way, you know, and, and sometimes the players who are more naturally um, or, or just taller or, or have more athletic ability, let's say, they don't play as well because they don't really think about how they're playing. Um, so it's it, they're they're interesting. They're those two guys. They're you know they're very very smart, very intelligent players, um, and they use their strengths to the kind of the maximum potential. And uh, you know Leo Leo is a shame that he retired because you know yeah. you feel like he can take his game to the yeah to really. The next, I really as well. he was coming on uh, the last couple of years. Last year he he had some. Some good ma- some good wins and some close matches against the top players in the game. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I guess when when you know it's time, it's time. Yeah, and I think you know, similar to Aslan earlier, you know, it's like maybe maybe the opportunity kind of uh, presents itself, you know, outside of squash, which yeah. you feel may not come around again. So you may, maybe you kind of think, well, now's the time to to kind of, you know. <laughs> You know they're probably they're pretty smart characters, so they're probably probably thinking short term, mid term, and long term in terms of what's uh, you know what, how they're going to make that decision of, of carrying on or not. So, but it, I mean it's a shame shame to lose lose those guys, but um, and you know very very grateful for the contribution 
But now it's time to move on. It's time to move it's on. Time, yeah, it's time time for other players to, to step up. You know, so it's that's exciting. It's the well. natural uh, evolution, the natural progression uh, yeah. of things, right? So now uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, about this. Now, obviously, uh, as a coach, you're always looking. You definitely look to other programs, other great coaches, see what they're doing, and pick up. Uh, things here and there. Uh, Egypt is uh, producing the best squash that we've ever seen from a country. I think even surpassing now Pakistan and, and England back in the day. Uh, you look at the rankings. Uh, I, I was counting the other day. Eleven is it? Eleven of the top twenty are from Egypt on the men's side. Yeah, yeah. similar. Uh, but uh, you know, only five now in the top ten. So um, <laughs> <laughs> the first five. Though. Well, I think Paul Cole. Maybe. When you look to Egypt, and uh, obviously it's apples and oranges. They've got a very deep grassroots program that it's really hard, I'm sure, to, to replicate. But uh, in terms of their coaching, they've obviously, they're doing something uh, right. And it always comes up in conversations. What are, what's Egypt doing that we're not? As in terms of, a, you know, the coaching side of things, put, put aside the, you know, the participation levels and all this stuff. Uh, what do you sort of, as a coach, uh, recognize that they are doing uh, perhaps a, a, that, that might be something you take away uh, as a coach? Um, well, I think, I think they don't try and input too much. I think that's a big, big thing. I think, uh, I mean, I've, I've spent no time in Egypt. You know, I, I haven't seen their coaches coaching their players. I've seen there's a few clips on YouTube. I've you know obviously intrigued and fascinated as as, as much as everybody else. You know, the the things I've noticed was is that perhaps they don't tell the player what to do, which is a really important <laughs> aspect. That's interesting. Um, so they they'll give them the they'll give them the, the basic things like get your racket up put your wrist in this position when you hit the ball, maybe, I don't know. But apart from that, there doesn't seem to be uh, too much uh, input, which is, which is really, really important. Um, because the game, the game is, it, it's, it's more feeling, it's more sensory these days. It's not uh, kind of, um, it's not, there isn't a thought process, I don't necessarily think. And I think a lot of other models, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in the English system. It's all about kind of reductionism. and It's all about breaking, taking things apart and putting them back together again. Um, and, I, and I see the Egyptian game as the, the complete opposite of that. Um, so it's less, less cerebral, more kind of sensory. They're, they're kind of playing a lot from a young age. They're learning how to kind of find the space on the court. Whereas I think a lot of other models are working more on kind of technique. You know, it's a, such a huge thing for, for, for kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches is, is get the right technique um, and then get a technique which is consistent and then adjust that technique at certain times in the game where Whereas I think the Egyptian method is hit the ball hard, hit the ball into that space quickly. Yeah. 
uh, adapt your technique rather than adjust your technique. In, and I think it's like they, they kind of understand how to play the game um, through, through this. So they kind of teach themselves quite, a, you know, in many ways. Um, and then what, what you see, I think, is them, once they're really good at the game, then they, um, then they add the other bits, which is, okay, they might try and work on their strength a little bit or work on other parts. Whereas you see, I think you see the reverse. When I was in England for that, that period of time, I saw young kids who were really, really professional. You know, they, they kind of do their warm-ups, they kind of know about nutrition or they know about this, that, and the other, but they can't really hit the ball that well. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I, think they, I think they've got it. And I think it's, it, it's obviously linked to, uh, to the kind of culture and, and society and all these things as well, of course. You know, the form of life in Egypt just lends itself to this kind of chaotic. I know, and, uh, I know here in the UAE. Amazing game Egyptian, that we have. There's a huge Egyptian. Sorry? Pop, in the UAE, anyways, there's a huge uh, Egyptian mm. population. So they have their own... Right. They, they, they do their own things at night. And, and I noticed uh, there, there are a lot of clubs, like the Egyptian club here, or the, this other club there, and they just go at night, like in droves, and they, 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 whatever, they play squash or badminton. It's just a, a huge uh, gathering of people yeah. after out, like after school is out. And that, that's kind of what they, they do. Yeah. Well, that's that grassroots they kinda... thing. Uh, they're out there having fun. Uh, Playing squash, yeah, it is, and they want to. I think they want to win. You know, that's the other thing. And then it seems to me like if Norel Shabini wins the world junior championships at fifteen or thirteen, I think it may have been, then there'll be some young Egyptian who wants to do it by the time they're twelve. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it it seems like a, a highly competitive environment, but you know they can, it seems like they can turn that off as well. If they don't win, then it's kind of like, okay, well, I'll try again next time kind of thing. Yeah. So I think it's, and there's so many, I mean, there's so, I've just mentioned so many factors. If I had to pinpoint one, it would be that the, the kind of ball striking is, is, is pretty phenomenal, the way they hit the ball. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's, that is based on technique. Right. I think that's based on just big picture ideas and, and trying to play fast, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, you see let that, your, let your, guys, that all of the, the great Egyptian players, you can you see that it looks like they're having fun. I mean, it looks like the way that they play, it, it looks, it, it's a lot of fun. And it's obviously like that, that's been something that they created them, like you said, uh, I think you 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 mentioned this, and that it made me think of it. Uh, it's something that they they sort of developed themselves, and then they, like you said, they brought in the bits uh, la later on. That, that makes a uh, perfect sense. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's 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 great. It's great to see, isn't it? It's great to. That's why the game is so enjoyable now, and it's forcing other players to kind of expand, you know, on what they're doing as well, and. and Using using the full court to play the game, which is which is you know wonderful to watch. Yeah. You know, I we, I recently watched a, a kind of a 
the Canary Wharf final with a few of the players here and um, just the first rally of the final. Like there's, there's just so much variation, you know? Yeah. That was, and um, it's just in that final again. Um, so Farag, Farag and Shawagi. Right. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it's just like, well, the, the kind of situation emerges that the, the cross court Nick is the best shot. So it's the cross court Nick, you know? Or it's the boast, or it's like in, in, in traditionally in the UK. I think before, you know, when I grew up, you weren't you weren't allowed to play a boast. Boasts weren't allowed. You know, obviously <laughs> they were. Yeah. But you were discouraged from hitting that, and and the situation might have changed now. I mean, I'm not saying that still applies, but you know, it, it, that's the history. The, 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 the boast is a, is a risky shot and you mustn't, mustn't yeah. you must expose yourself. And then it's, you know, is a main aspect of my arsenal these days, Peter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> got to end the rally as quickly as possible. So it's a killer. <laughs> Peter, uh, yeah. this has been pure, pure gold. I really appreciate your time. It's been almost an hour. And uh, I just want to thank you uh, for, for taking the time uh, for us today on the podcast and I want to wish you uh, all the best in Hong Kong uh, we'll be watching and it'll be exciting uh, you've got a great opportunity there and really appreciate your time I'd love to have you uh, back on again sure thanks 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 Jerry I've, uh, I've enjoyed it my Cheers, first man. podcast so I think it was a uh, fairly fairly uh, straightforward which was Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was straightforward and uh, lo- I mean lots of really good stuff there. Uh, I think the listeners will uh, will enjoy. So, again, all the best to you, uh, your family, and uh, obviously with the Hong Kong national team. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, well, thanks so much to Peter uh, for doing that. What a fantastic chat that was! So much insight. Uh, he obviously really a cerebral guy. Uh, you can tell just by the way he. Uh, was just so thoughtful in just about every uh, every discussion that we had there today. So I just want to wish him uh, all the best in Hong Kong. I'm sure uh, you know Hong Kong is delighted to have him uh, on board coaching their national team. Uh, they just had uh, Chris Robertson, obviously, for several years there, and uh, uh, hopefully Peter will be able to pick up where Chris left off. Some big shoes to fill, obviously. Chris did a fantastic job there. But Peter, uh, the proof is in the pudding. You just you don't have to look any further than the last uh, seven years that Malaysia's had with their national team, the successes uh, they've had, which we talked a bit about uh, today. And uh, so I'm sure Hong Kong is really uh, delighted to have Peter on board as their their new uh, head coach. So all the best to Peter and Hong Kong uh, going forward. Uh, now, just uh, the, the Qatar Classic uh, event is uh, ongoing, and I just finished watching uh, while I was doing a bit of uh, circuit training. Had this, the the Mohamed El Sherbagi uh, Yusuf Ibrahim match on, and what a match that was. Uh, I had some thoughts uh, sort of while I was watching it. Obviously, the court. Uh, played into Yusuf's hands, but, uh, you know, you've got to make it work for you. And he uh, hung in there. I could just, you know, you could see that Mohammed was trying to make it uh, make it tough for Yusuf, uh, despite the the advantage that he had with the court conditions. I, I thought the court conditions were 
played a big part in that game, but uh, obviously you need the skill to be able to put the ball away, to play it forward, to play you know your short game that well, and to mix it up to give get those opportunities to play that. And uh, Yusuf played just amazing squash. And uh, Mohammed perhaps a little bit off his game, but it wasn't just that. I think uh, Yusuf uh, played that the way that court was to be played. He played it brilliantly, and it was a winning formula today. So congratulations uh, to him. So some some great squash going on uh, in the Qatar Classic. Also watched Ali Farag just play out of his mind today. Uh, really, really did a great job against the uh, young Malaysian uh, player uh, there that he was playing. Um, and uh, he's going to be difficult to beat now. I guess you'd have to say that uh, he would be uh, the favorite going forward. Uh, Ferris Dusecki will have uh, uh, Yusuf Ibrahim in the next round. Uh, you've got Joel Macon still in there. You've got Paul Cole, who, uh, who seems to be playing well. He survived a, a tough match uh, yesterday, so he'll, um, uh, he'll be one of the favorites going forward. Obviously, Marwan uh, El Shabagi is still there as well, and he's playing really well. So... Some exciting squash uh, to be played here over the next few days in Qatar, so that's that's uh, fantastic. Also, speaking of exciting squash, I've got my own match uh, tomorrow against my my good bunny uh, Vinny. He's my sparring partner, Vinny, and uh, you know we're gonna have uh, we're gonna do some uh, training games uh, tomorrow, but they're as competitive as normal games. So really looking forward to that. A little bit argy bargy out there on the court tomorrow. I hope you have some of the same. Have some good fun. Have some good training. Uh, if you're if you're out there playing squash right now, if you're not, I feel for you. Uh, hopefully soon things will improve. But uh, again, everyone, thanks for listening. Please share this. I know you're going to want to because it was a it was a fantastic episode with Peter today. Share these podcasts with your friends and your squash community, especially one like this where there's so much insight and intel about the game. Uh, you're going to want to do that to share the wealth. Thanks so much for listening. Take care, and we'll be back soon. We've got uh, I've got another episode coming up later this week. We've got uh, Ben Thomas. He's the one of the top squash players there in Whistler, Canada. Uh, he's been there for several years, involved heavily in the squash, but he's also involved in a pick, pickleball venture, and we're going to juxtapose the two of those and, and talk about uh, that because that's a big uh, talking point right now in the squash game in terms of the growth of the game. We're also going to have on the winner of a PSA event in Switzerland uh, earlier in the week, Rose Kobayashi, for his second visit. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, he's a unique character. He came on uh, about a year and a half ago, and that was an epic uh, episode, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to more of the same later this week. And we've got a few more uh, episodes upcoming not too far off from now. So stay tuned for those. Thanks for bearing with me. I know it's been a few weeks. Just took a a little vacay, but uh, now we're back. Take care and have a great day. Goodbye.